passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Rewind the dynamite from the most recent sight. AEW, lighting up the fuse. Sit back and enjoy the bubbly. As we hear from John and Waiting. Where we're going, we don't need roads. And if the buck stops here, this thing might blow. Everything you hear, opinions of the show. And if you don't like it, go to the forums and let them know. Welcome to Rewind Dynamite. It is John Pollock and Wei Ting here with you on a Wednesday night coming out of a very hot edition of Dynamite taking place from the Kia Forum in Inglewood, California. That is correct. Yeah, very hot. That's that's how I would describe today's show. It flew right by. Yeah, it really did. This was a nonstop two hours, a ton to talk about uh, coming out of this post-pay-per-view edition of Dynamite. So we are going to be diving into that because that is where uh, all the news is going to be uh, coming out of. But this was a pretty big show for AEW just going into things. Their first card in Southern California, a huge advance at the at the forum uh, that they sold you know, over 13,000 uh, were in the building. I don't know what the final number was, but uh, an incredible crowd way. We talk about this so often, but I think that's such a huge part of some of these shows is just how lively it sounds. And when you go into a new market, um, you have a rabid fan base of places that are these untapped markets for them. And that was certainly the case tonight. Yeah. It, and it's kind of hard to believe that, you know, two, three years into this company, we still have so many places that, you know, this is this promotion has yet to uh, uh, have live shows in. So uh, there are plenty of markets that are untapped where I think we'll get very similar reactions. Um, a lot of people that are very starved for this uh, show. Yeah. So let's let's go right into it because there's, there's a lot to talk about on this show. Our first person out to kick things off. First of all, this set way. Like with the uh, the different uh, staging that they had, I, I thought this looked like a real cool look for the show as well. I didn't pay that much attention. I didn't realize it was different. It looked a little different with like the uh, like just just the the ramp and the stage at the uh, at the front looked nice. And and this this also you were watching this and like they had like the logos and stuff around it. Like it felt like a different venue as well. It had its own kind of character to it. I thought. Hmm. Okay. I'll have to pay more attention next time. Well, maybe I was on my own. CM Punk starts the show. He is out, and we are starting off with our six-man tag with CM Punk and FTR against the Gun Club and Max Caster. And Max Caster, trying to make his rap as timely as possible, says, we're going to make you pay like Amber Heard. Said that FTR is riding CM Punk's coattails to get onto the show, and Bret Hart is trash, and you're going to get served by the acclaimed and the ass boys who go through their roll call Austin yells, Sacramento, boo, that's not where we live. Colton yells, San Diego, and then Bowens ends the promo. Uh, very, very heated here at the beginning. 
Very much so, yeah. I mean, you know, for a Max Caster promo, I, I suppose lately they've been maybe more tame than what we've been used to, um, but really nice to get that topical Amber Heard line in there. Um, felt like the line that maybe got the most heat was, I mean, that was probably it, but I mean, to, to these three, any insult towards Bret Hart was probably the worst that thing that you could have said. But this is a group that's very over here with uh, Max Caster and the, uh, well, the Gun Club, I'll call them. Yes, they were accompanied by Anthony Bowens and Billy Gunn, who were in the corners. And, man, Punk was just super hot here. He comes in. The whole place is chanting for him. Uh, they take over after an ankle pick to Dax, and they work over Dax for quite some time. Billy hits a cheap shot, and then Dax is fighting back, throwing Caster and Austin out of the ring, back suplex onto Colton, and then he dives as Punk and Cash get yanked off of the apron, and Bowens uses his crutch on Dax, and then uh, scissors with uh, Austin during the picture-in-picture. Picture. The tag is made to Punk, hits his big savage elbow drop, and calls for the GTS when Billy Gunn gets onto the apron. And this leads to a roll-up by Austin for a two-count, goes for the Famouser, and Punk goes to catch him mid-Famouser, and he's really struggling to get him up here. And the idea was to launch him into Billy on the apron. Well, he got as far as he could, and he did a number on Billy's wrist with Austin Gunn, because that was about what Austin connected with. Uh, and Billy was like, well, I got to drop off this apron. So he did. He falls and Punk gets him up GTS. And that leads into the big rig, a, a bit of a clunkiness here at the end uh, with, with Punk. But nonetheless, the big rig was the ending. Dax pins Austin. And uh, and there you go. And Punk even kind of made reference to this afterwards in the promo. He's He's still got a lot of work to do. Yeah, very much so. You know, certainly unfortunate. You know, this is his big coming out as the champion. All eyes are on him. And I think all expectations are on him to lead the company. And to lead the company, you have to pretty much be damn near flawless in the ring. And this was a performance, unfortunately, that was far from it. You know, had a bit of a slip off the off the, uh, the hot tag at the beginning and then not a very good looking set of moves towards the end, too. So a rough first outing by Punk. Um, and S- saved by a hot crowd. But it, it, it to me, it, it did affect the match quality for me. Of course. Yeah. And JR was not afraid to call it bowling shoe ugly. Um, and I think, you know, that sort of criticism is warranted, you know, especially when you're somebody who many people are, you know, already mad about uh, being champion, uh, having beaten, you know, somebody who um, is much younger. Um, but I thought even though like maybe the performance was definitely more on the B level, maybe even C level side from Punk, the promo afterwards was a level. He said the perfect thing you could have said. In that type of situation, you could tell like as he was holding the microphone, he was taking some time to process how he was going to address the awkward moment of him, you know, flubbing some of those moves. And he said the perfect thing, took ownership of it and and did it in, in a way that was eloquent and made him sound cool and made you want to cheer for him again. Yes. His first words are, I've never done drugs, but I imagine this is what it feels like being in this ring. I still have a lot of work to do and I need to get better. That's what this championship is about. And I would not be here without the mistakes I've made along the way, which are learning experiences. You can be positive or you can be negative, but you must call me champion as he holds up the title. See, I don't know how much of this promo was improvised on the fly because it all seemed to be based around his botches. He is saying I make mistakes and I wouldn't be here where I am today without learning from those mistakes. Um I, I mean, to me, that was the brilliance of this segment was to see how he saved, again, the awkwardness of some of those moments uh, at the end there. 
There's certainly a redemption moment to be had of him nailing Paige with the buckshot lariat down the road. Oh, man, I don't know if I would tempt that again. He said at the press conference that was the last time he'll ever try that move. Yeah, it's one where you can't you can't mess it up ever again. It has to be no. perfect. And yeah. I would say his his three attempts, that might be that's that's a sign. Yeah. Dax takes over and says, well, those things that Punk hasn't done, I've done them all. And it does feel that good. And he thought this was hilarious. He says pro wrestling means the world to me and shouts out his wife and baby girl and says that those are the only two people that mean more to me than wrestling. And it does not sit well when you attack me and my partner on our stage in reference to the recent uh, Great O'Con Jeff Cobb uh, run in and pretty much just opens the gauntlet for anyone to come. And Punk says, we've he got a specifically, paper. He specifically called out Finley. Yes, yes. He apologized. Who, who never showed up and did not seem to be connected to him in any way by the end of the show. No, no. I, uh, yeah, I, I did not quite understand the. I'm uh, guessing he just saw David Finley in the back and was like, uh, any of you guys, uh, Finley, you know, probably just first name. Like, well, at first, it, like, wasn't he like about to swear? And I almost thought he was like apologizing to like his daughter that he had mentioned was in the crowd, but I, I don't even know what, what her, uh. Oh, this is a bad show for his daughter to watch. <laughs> this, this, well, this was, this was really, um, setting the table for this mixer after and seeing what, what will these executives, uh, they gave them the gamut of what is AEW. I was expecting they, Nick Gage to show up at some point. It's true. They didn't really tone this thing down at all. Oh, you had, no, dude, you had they, blood. You had the dude licking blood and yeah. Uh, all Renee, Renee Paquette's favorite part of uh, John yes. Moxley's repertoire, the, the licking of the blood. We had, uh, Tons of swear. Like we had the AEW experience tonight. This was an authentic AEW show from all mm-hmm. angles. So Punk brings up New Japan Pro Wrestling. The whole arena is buzzing. Says we've got a pay-per-view to sell. Show me who I've got. And outwalks Hiroshi Tanahashi. And that looks to be our first match for the Forbidden Door. Punk against Tanahashi, not Kenta. Uh, I will say this is a bigger match, bigger than I was expecting for for Punk on this show. It is much bigger than Kenta. I mean, and it looks like Kenta is just like <laughs> this whole time was just him like really trying to vie for a match and not getting it. So it made Kenta look pretty bad. Kenta did tweet something about how uh, he said, knock, knock, dot, dot, dot. And uh well, I mean, you do have Kenta of... that like is very much attached to these two. That there oh, could yeah. still be something like this is the guy that caused his uh, his debilitating injuries that he's out for, and Punk that he's working this thing with. So, like, you do have some uh, connection here with, with they, Kenta. They but... could still go to it eventually, but you know, who's going to get mad at Hiroshi Tanahashi versus CM Punk? You know, we're talking no. two of the. And, best and I do ever. think there would have been a large contingent that would have saw Punk and Kenta as a letdown, even with like the naturalness. Like, this mm. is going to be much better received. So, I don't think there's going to be any. Uh, resistance to this this direction it is a big match it is a arguably a headlining match you, you know that 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 what could very well main event the show and you know if we're talking about people who could afford losses i mean tanahashi can really afford a loss to, to anybody at this point but still feel you know like a big deal so okay so that was our opening segment and the next one is the one that probably everybody is going to be uh, talking about and that is this MJF. is why you guys are all listening to this review i bet that that is it um there uh, they don't want to get my immediate thoughts about um, Johnny Elite. Well, we could skip. Yeah, we could skip Save this MJF, MJF for the promo. End. MJF no. comes out to thunderous booze and says for them to cut his music. Very interesting just the way that all of this has been presented. And MJF is received as as a heel. Whether that's the audience understanding what their role is to be booing MJF or this idea that the company is the babyface to a lot of these fans. 
I think that's it. You know, I think uh, for a lot of the audience, AEW is this heaven, you know, this this sanctuary that wrestlers should kill to be in. I mean, it is not the WWE. And here you have a guy threatening to leave it, uh, holding up the show, you know, the denying fans uh, who have paid money uh, a meet and greet just to kind of hold the, the show hostage for more money. I don't necessarily feel like at least the audience there is as much on the side of like, you know, um, pay whatever a talent demands as, as maybe it might seem online. But yeah, I mean, certainly by the end of this promo, uh, he he might have swung the crowd in his favor. Uh, another thing, did not come out selling any of the injuries. Nothing. You know? Nothing. The man, last time we saw, his eyes needed oxygen. Okay, that's how injured he was. He had a <laughs> oxygen mask on his eyes, uh, stretched out, and came out feeling no effects or showing no effects. He could have tied it in. He's like, I, <laughs> my eyes have been awakened now to what this place really is. <laughs> I have 2020 yes, vision and I'm going to have 2024 vision for the next 18 months till this contract's up. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just, a, you know, medicine has discovered a new way of, of a re- recovery here. Uh, oxygen for, mask for, for everyone that, that's just saying like, this is totally <laughs> negating the Wardlow program and the stretcher job. He did say the first words, I'm in a lot of pain from Sunday. And then he moved on to this, uh, 10 minute soliloquy. Um, so the crowd cheers actually when he says that he's in a lot of pain. But all of you want to hear me talk. Well, this is Max Friedman talking and the, the, the statement of like the, the real name thing. I was like, okay, we are, we are very much treading on WCW territory. I mean, his, his work name is still Max Friedman. It is. It is like, uh, we'll, but, we'll but save, we like, it. we we'll save it. all of this. I'm sure we're going to spend some time on this. He mentions the, uh, the Warner Brothers discovery executives that are here. And wouldn't it be a shame if something bad happened? And said, it's embarrassing that Tony Khan has been trying to sit down to hash things out. Well, Tony, it's a little too little, too late. When this place started, it was all friends wrestling. Everyone was given their ticket. Except for me. I had to write my own ticket. And with that ticket, I created moment after moment. And yet received no respect. No one is on my level here. Everything I, t- I touch turns to gold. There's nothing I can't do. When I come out here, I'm not expected to hit home runs. I'm out here expected to hit grand slams. And I do that shit every week. I'm held under a microscope and I'm the only one capable of carrying this place on my back. And asks, where were all you fans that are cheering me right now? Where were you when I was called unprofessional over this past weekend? The boys in the back... Like oh man, I'm getting like the like the shock. Like it's like all the uh, the little lines that are just bringing you back to a to a time. The boys in the back want my spot. Well, they can have it because I don't want to be here. You're not fans. You're uneducated marks who tweet your opinions as if they matter. You don't know shit. You change your stance on a dime. You went from me being a terrible wrestler to me being a great wrestler. Why? Why am I not a great wrestler? Because I don't pretend to watch New Japan. If there is one consistency, this man's hatred of New Japan that he brings up so <laughs> consistently yeah. uh, from whether it's on promos on TV, whether it's in uh, opening up Christmas shows. The man has a disdain for New Japan. He's tailor made for this pay-per-view in a few weeks. NXT, though, he, he loves. Yes. I'm not reckless. I don't drop people on their heads. I'm not chasing stars. I'm the best. I'm the best in the world and the only one that makes you feel. And I don't have to do a bunch of bullshit to get you there. 
You people take me for granted, but it's the big man in the back too who takes me for granted. And they don't want me to say this, but I am the second biggest minute-for-minute draw. It's him, the second biggest minute-for-minute draw. And he asks you to go in the back and ask Stat Boy Tony for that fact. But don't ask him to reach into his pocket and pay the man. Instead, he gives all of that money to the ex-WWE guys that can't lace his goddamn boots. Hey, boss, would you treat me better if I was an ex-WWE guy? Now, this crowd is reacting heavily, especially to all the, like, the WWE stuff. He says... The only so position reacting, reacting like big gas. So let me just say, you know, before in the prior part, part of the promo, they were chanting, shut the fuck up. You know, it was very heelish when he started getting getting to some of the, the lines you just mentioned about being ex WWE. If I was an ex WWE guy, would you pay me more? That's when he swung the crowd. I mean, already at least a partial of the crowd was already there with him. But it felt like he got the whole arena after that line. Yeah, it it was like mixed throughout, but more negative for the first half. And by this point, um, people this were is becoming, agreeing. They're like, "Yeah, this is this is this is, this is like a babyface making promo." By the mm-hmm. end, he says the only position that Tony should assume is behind the guardrail with all of them. I don't want to wait until 2024. He screams at the producer not to count him down, calling him "you piece of shit," and screams for Tony Khan to fire him as he's censored at the end, and it cuts to break. And it's all cheers by the end Mm -hmm. because this crowd is going nuts for this guy. So a a lot to this promo. Number one, this delivery was a grand slam, if you want to use that term. I thought Mm -hmm. his delivery was phenomenal. I would say that completely different from the, from the, the faux babyface promo, if you want to call it that, that he did uh, before the punk one. Not even faux, like really a full-on babyface like promo. The, he did. the, the, the whole show, origin probably. of, of yeah. himself. I mean, that to me is maybe the most memorable segment MJF has uh, done in terms of a speaking role. Mm-hmm. I thought his delivery was incredible here. I purposely avoided all of the reaction to this. I'm sure it was very much mixed because you're going into a lot of territory that I think is groan-inducing for many people that they don't seek out in professional wrestling yes there is an attachment to reality um but it's also kind of divorced from the rest of the show i'll add that i don't think there was maybe any one line here where it was like the painful this is all fake bullshit that we're part of here in pro wrestling like that one line i mean you have to go out of your way i think to justify some of these lines um that he uses but uh what were some of your thoughts whether pro or negative Okay. Well, um I I almost I'm at the point now where I feel like the work shoot promo or shoot turned into a work turned into a shoot promo is very much a part of the fabric of our current fandom. You know, it it is just a part of it. And I'm I'm almost not even thinking so much about like what breaks reality at this point at least in this for this particular instance. And in the end I'm just asking myself, am I captivated? Am I entertained? And the answer to both. Then this would be a ten. It was was captivating. The delivery was incredible, and the crowd was super into it. And by the end of it, I think you had your babyface star. Like this is, but the program is it's MJF and Tony Khan. It is, but it's also the ex WWE guys. It's also CM Punk, and the only reason why we would know that is because shortly after this segment was cut off uh, in the arena, CM Punk Punk was the one to come out. 
And I mean, the, 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 the symbolism is certainly not lost. This was very much, you know, AEW's version, MJF's version of the pipe bomb and how appropriate, you know, to, to deliver it, first of all, after CM Punk's segment on the show and to have CM Punk himself come out. And this is particularly interesting. And, and some, you know, some people may say, well, if it doesn't happen on air, it's not part of the story. That is not true at all for AEW. Okay. I, I think everything we, they're doing that, like you, you can look back and I think everyone, accepts that like the the missing uh the, the missing of the the fan fest thing on saturday was a legitimate missed event and i mm-hmm. think you have to look at everything since then um everything is part of the story i mean whether or not it started off as that you know we 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 could still question whether or not that is so people are going to say it was a work all along whatever like at this point i'm kind of over that debate I'm just more so asking myself, well, what's the story that they're telling now? And is it entertaining? And clearly there's a story that's being told now. And yes, it is very entertaining. But back to the CM Punk thing, you know, um, the fact that like they just paired Punk and FTR on screen like this today uh, in a trios match directly coming off of the dark segment that that occurred uh, at the end of a, a double or nothing tells you exactly that everything that is taking place in front of a live audience is canon now. So the fact that it was Punk being the one out here to come to drive MJF away through the crowd out of the arena, I think you can look at it in, in a number of ways, you know? Perhaps this is, well, perhaps, first of all, it's Punk being the champion, holding the responsibility, playing locker room leader, telling the outsider to get to get out of here. Or could it be an allusion to what Hangman was talking about? The guy who used to be the voice of the voiceless, the guy who used to, you know, speak for the little guy, is now protecting the establishment. The ex-WWE guy is now protecting the establishment so that all the ex-WWE guys can make money so that the little guys like an MJF get shut out. Um, I find it really fascinating. And, and I, I'm very curious, you know, where they go in this direction, whether or not if, if it's MJF as a babyface or as a heel and if it plays into the CM Punk possibly turning a heel storyline. Yeah, I think that you know, you had you had direct and indirect lines to to punk in in the promo. You had like I'm the best in the world obviously to draw that that connection. You also had him saying I'm the only one capable of putting this place on my back, which is a direct line that punk has been using lately in different interviews that you can strap this place to my back and I'll run with it. So y- and you have Punk, who is whatever his record is now, 19, 20, and 1. That one loss he has is to MJF. So that only makes sense that you eventually go back to that. But I think very much this is MJF being the babyface at the end of all of this uh, to be justified. And and w- whatever like the kernel of taking this from what happened on Saturday and fully forming this into a story, like that's where we are now, like obviously. <laughs> Do you think that they are committing to making Tony like like a heel figurehead though? Like, I, that really to, I, I really mean, that hope not. I really hope not. But how can you not have that from not not so much a heel, but a character? Yes, it just seems to go against everything that I mean. That at that point, I feel like it would it would be universally grown inducing, you know, because it does seem to go uh, go against what you know Tony Khan himself has said about not wanting to to be a an on screen character. Then this um, promo should not have been designed this way because at the end of this, MJF was a babyface. Uh, running down the boss and the audience was siding with MJF, whether he's mm-hmm. your, your heel or your, your baby face. This audience was behind him. Yeah, I would honestly love to know what the conversation was in the back prior to him going out. You know, was it as simple as, hey, like uh, maybe we, you know, some agreement, blah, 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 blah. Go out there. You have you know what to do. You're MJF. You can say whatever you want. 
or was it carefully, you know, constructed? Uh, we're going to get to this match in so many months, so make sure you lay the foundations for this and this and this. I don't know, and that's part of the fun, actually. Yeah, I mean, there's... I, I think it was an interesting way to go about this because based off Sunday, there's no reason this guy should have been on the show. But they must have believed, like, the buzz was so much that they had to put him on. Like, it was as if the Wardlow match barely existed. Like, the stretcher yeah. job, why did it even exist? And I will say, in my opinion, it did kind of hurt Wardlow. You know, I thought that. Wardlow felt, I mean, yeah, he had a presence on this show, but he but did not feel like a star. Absolutely. A hundred percent. Which you could argue that in this game of what professional wrestling is, you are given your time on television, go out and get over. If you can't get over to this level, then you're not at that level. Um, but there, there was no doubt to me that um, on this follow-up show, MJF was uh, leagues above where Wardlow is. And I don't think that's what Sunday's ending was designed to be. And MJF did not suffer one iota of that loss. And it was like, this guy is as ho- he's hotter now than ever. I'll tell you what, like, because of the structure of this show, we had MJF come out here and, you know, he's blurring the lines between real and reality and fiction. He's basing basically his entire promo off of things that have happened off screen, all only on the Internet, only on Twitter, only on podcasts, only in dirt sheets, basically. So he's cutting what feels like is a real promo. And then you have Wardlow coming out here hot as hell coming off a of Sunday. But we know he's playing a character when he comes out. You know, he feels like just, you know, a, a fabricated manufactured creation. And, and that's hard to go up against, you know, when your opponent from Sunday is doing a real, quote unquote, you know, story. You're you're also playing with, like, keeping your talent in the dark. And that is historically um, a, a, a rocky road to go down where you have your, your locker room that is not sure what is going on and where things are going with all of this. That I, I just... You know, historically, this this kind of stuff, it's like this obsession with fooling your audience. And yes, there is going to be a certain uh, captivation to it. Um, but there's there's also, I think, sometimes, you know, trying to outthink yourselves. And it's it gets to a territory that you're playing to a much smaller percentage than you realize. Mm. But tonight, sure. I mean, you you had like this arena was going crazy for him. But I think a lot of that was, you know, when you bring up WWE, you're going to get a reaction when you have someone as captivating as an MJF delivering such a spirited. Del- I don't care what he's saying. It was an, an mm-hmm. unbelievable promo that he yeah. delivered here. And mm-hmm. and people can. Yeah, it helps that it's, you know, based in reality or people uh, constructing whatever this reality is. Um but it's also like these stories are sometimes very, very uh, difficult to play out because it just does not fit with the rest of the program. And your audience is like not every fan is following like every yeah. single site and report that is out there. But you yeah. would assume a very healthy percentage of this crowd is. It's 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 I think something very um, unique to see in 2022. Okay, because we we've been through Brian Pillman, we've been through Montreal, we we we've been through the like the you know Punk and the pipe bomb. Um, I feel like it's that much harder to mix you know reality and and fiction these days, and not have it you know not have an audience maybe somewhat uh, grown in revolt. 
or you like not to suffer some like in some way you will suffer some consequences whether it be in you know pissing off your audience or pissing off your locker room in being kept in the dark for something like this is that the level now that they're going to have to you know work at to to make sure that no nothing leaks out there you know to to work the work the locker room um in some ways uh, it, 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 someone's going to get pissed off but uh, tonight it was just completely captivating completely entertaining so uh we can at least say that much it was a great segment so logically, I mean, you also have to have a reason for this guy to ever appear on your show again after this after this type of a segment. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, he's still he's Wardlow now. He's he's contra- he's under contract to Tony Khan. He's trying to fight out of the contract. So, I mean, War, you know, like the I, only way this guy becomes a, a character on television and has a presence, like it forces Tony Khan to be a character. Well, at least behind the scenes, right? I mean, like like MJF alluded to, he is the second biggest minute by minute ratings draw in this company, and it would make sense why the boss would want to put him out there. Maybe maybe he'll put him out there in like you know difficult matches. Again, it gets really tricky at this point. You know, maybe maybe it was a glimpse into the future at the press conference on Saturday that Punk's hype man is going to be Tony Khan. Maybe that maybe that's the tandem, and Tony Khan will be cutting eye bulging, crazy, nerdy promos <laughs> against everybody. Um, I don't know. And then maybe press conferences. I think we should get more press conferences. Yeah, it's um, yeah. I I would say it captivating promo, but I can also understand a lot of people like groaning at overall like the direction of this not so much in uh, an indictment of the segment itself because i am I, I did think mjf was terrific in the segment but the overall uh direction of going this way a lot of people are not going to enjoy this kind of thing because i think they've seen it fail many times and be i mean you lived through this in wcw where it was assuming um an audience that was hardly watching pro wrestling for for this kind of stuff and it just blurs the lines of everything else on your show that feels fake in comparison to something that hey this is real because we're talking with real names and yeah. and you know it, that, it walks that line it's that very makes, difficult right that makes what will be difficult but i will say you know there are way more internet dirt sheet reading fans quote-unquote dirt sheet reading fans podcast listening fans message board reading fans of this particular product that there ever was for a wcw or really any other you know mainstream product in history so i mean the reaction tonight you know everybody knew every single word that this guy was saying if he continues to cut these electrifying promos and like you know as as long as we get to see the man perform i i i think the audience will accept a lot you know, and these are very smart people who have been through all of that. And we know like Tony Khan is a man who's learned a lot from history. I mean, MJF himself has studied every single thing. So I have a I have a feeling like, again, this is all under the guise that this is the story that they're going with now. Um, I have a feeling that they're they're going to make sure everything is it stand. It works, at least. I, I hope they will. There is certainly that um, that aspect to things that I don't think. You, you do have people that I think would very much understand um, why a WCW was plagued by this kind of stuff in 2000 and learning from that as well. But I think overall that this angle will be a true test of Tony Khan as a booker and how deep into the weeds you are. Like, it's great that he is this hardcore of a fan, but at the same time, it's like you're appealing to people that there's a very small percentage of people that are as diehard of a fan as Tony Khan is as well and separating that. So, so you know, this is the talk. This has been the talk of the wrestling world for the past week. 
Um, I mean, it's certainly taken over the Sasha Banks, Naomi stuff. And it, you know, the, the difference being now in this case, the, the, the disgruntled talent is coming back to play a character on the TV. And it seems like the show is actively using all the buzz of the drama that has taken place on the internet, uh, and, and potentially in real life. Again, at this point, whatever, who cares? And directing it into the, the product for storyline. And, and elevating MJF stock. Like this is and elevating it, the show stock, John. So my question is like, can, can, can we be on the cusp of something like a Montreal that ultimately the, the WWE completely benefited from? That, that this takes dynamite to a whole different level. Um, and MJF as well. I think if, if you're, if this is the signal of MJF becoming, you know, your long term big baby face start, the question is like, how far do you go with somebody that, as far as we are concerned, if there is no contract extension, like his value, you are driving it up so high and, don't you don't you think there's a really good chance that they would have hammered all that out? I hope there is at least. But I mean, again, who knows? You, you they they wouldn't reveal that. it. They wouldn't reveal it even if there was, right? No. Um, but but go but go with the idea that that, that there isn't one. Like that mm-hmm. is that is a gamble you are taking, and um, that is great if you are the the talent in question that is approaching free agency. Um, but that's something for them to decide. Like that, that's the mm-hmm. whole thing about, you know, when you have a contract up, like how do you utilize that person knowing that, you know, you could be, you could be outbid for, for somebody at the end of this. That's, that's a risk you take. Um, time will tell if this is something seismic, uh, for the company. It certainly has the potential. I have always said that MJF has a gigantic baby face run in him and maybe it's going to happen. I, I watched this segment tonight and I saw a number one baby face star coming out of this. Oh yeah, no doubt. I mean, the rating, you know, coming out of this show for that segment, I think will will be really interesting to see. What will the minute by minutes be? That's it. This is it was very near to a Brandon Thurston name drop in this promo. Uh, yeah, I really uh, thought he was about to name drop him when he said, "Go ask uh, the stack guy," and then he was yeah. referring to Tony uh, instead of Brandon, who I'm sure will have the uh, maybe maybe MJF will be the next. Uh, is he a draw? Competition, competition wise, there, there's nothing, right? No, no playoffs. There was NHL. There was NHL tonight, but no NBA. That that was okay. the the big one. And and the NHL is picking up, so they they did have some competition. But um, yeah, that that will be like very notable. Like sometimes we are very much in the bubble of what a giant story is, and does that translate out in this world? MJF was the talk of wrestling since Saturday afternoon. Mm-hmm. Will that translate to? Like you would think that's going to be the biggest thing on tonight's show when they announce that this afternoon, but we'll see. Mm-hmm. We'll see. Sometimes that gets overblown. Um, like how big of a, of a story it really is. So yeah. And as way mentioned, punk comes out during the break that was never shown on TV. And I didn't look at their Twitter, but I'd seen people saying that like they had been taking down the video of MJF and, and stuff like that. So really <laughs> that's great. I- yeah. Go the extra mile. That's awesome. Okay, but your your immediate reaction was almost like cringing at that. Well, yeah, my immediate reaction was like, and that's what you're going to run who, into who here because that's what they're, tra- they? they're trying to fool you, way as yeah. someone that follows it closely. They want to fool you with stuff like this. I laugh and- 
but I also appreciate it, you know, as a fan who wants that suspension of disbelief, you know, and, and, and I'm more so laughing at like, oh, okay, they're thinking like at least that far to, but to are, try but to are you suspending it at this point? Like, I don't think there's anybody coming out of this. Oh, was that real? Was that, was he supposed to right. get censored at the end? No mm. one's believed everyone is on board now that this is the story. So mm. are you suspending that disbelief or do you feel like they're trying to fool you? The, the fan and that's where that's where you get with a fan base like on saturday there was a different attitude towards this whereas now after the segment you can understand what the what the direction is you don't know where they're going or how they're doing it but you understand we're, we're all yeah. playing the same game now yeah yeah you're right yeah um you know, again, as wrestling fans, I think we expect a whole lot. You know, we expect unpredictability. We love, you know, um, when stuff feels real, yet when you try to be real and we catch you, we get pissed off. Uh, so I, I have a feeling maybe they're just kind of figuring it, it out themselves. Um, I, 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 I don't exactly know because, like, that's what makes it so interesting. In 2022, to try something like this is, is very different. Now, here's the other thing, you know, like, does it require, uh, further, do we, do you think we get further leaks of information, for instance, from like an MJF camp and, and what is that going to be met with in terms of a response and reaction in the news cycle? I, I don't know. I, I, I would be greatly taking, uh, anything, uh, w w with a grain of salt, uh, that you, that you see. And I, I think that there's plenty of, uh, reporters that would be very much on guard with, with something like that. And yeah, you're not yeah. just going to go off of like one thing like that either. So MJF leaves through the crowd and then we come back and it's Johnny Elite. What, what a segue. We go from the, the guy anti anything WWE to uh, the drip drip guy. Well, here's the thing. Like, I don't think the symbolism was lost on me to, to, to have, you know, MJF cut that promo against anti X, being anti WWE guys and just following the matchup with a man, two X WWE guys in what feels, what felt to be like, like a match you could have had, you know, right off of SmackDown from two, three years ago. Although I don't know if these two were, were ever on the same brand together. Well, the, uh, the mystery man, Johnny Elite has signed an open contract to face anyone and we go, to a shadowy figure who emerges, and it is Miro. And he says, my God, it's been a long time. Everything you've put me through made me closer to you. I am here to help my fellow man. The bastards, the punks, the cowboys. He will redeem them all, and those good deeds will get him back to the kingdom of heaven, where I will find you. You separated me from my gold and kept me from my home. My neck of sand is fixed, but my heart is broken. My God, I no longer wish to come home. I now come to take yours. <laughs> the Redeemer is back. He's I know going. everyone's going to applaud this MJF promo, but dude, I thought Miro was fucking fantastic. Fuck, I love this. I just thought this was the best. He is no longer trying to compromise and be in the good graces of God. No, I am going to destroy you and I'm taking heaven from you. Yeah. I mean, forget MJF versus Tony Khan. I mean, it's Miro versus God. You know, you think Tony Khan has signed God? Um, it's been a while since he's, I mean, uh, he's, he he's would probably be on a per date deal. You know, he mm. likes to work. God is all week. elite. Is he? Yes. Maybe. You know, he, has a, <laughs> he, he works limited dates for, yeah, for, probably. for Sundays a month. Yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, I'm I'm with you. I thought uh, Miro sounded awesome. When I say you know it felt like two ex WWE guys, I mean the one thing that Miro has going for him is that he feels completely like you know. I different. don't even think of Rusev with this guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he sounded great here. I thought this promo was just tremendous. He uh, enters the ring. If you notice this, he stands on the turnbuckle and just eyes up to the sky like with such disgust. <laughs> he throws uh, Johnny around. Uh, Johnny lands a roundhouse kick and a standing shooting star, but then crashes off the top. Miro uh, hits a machka kick, roars, game over as he bridges back for the quick submission. So Miro is back and he just dominated Johnny Elite. Really happy to see Miro back. Um, I'm a little disappointed he, he's not going to have that neck injury anymore because I always felt like the giant with like the, the Achilles heel. That even a guy like uh, what's what's his name, uh, Fuego del Sol, can capitalize on to to you know be competitive was always made the the that the giant a lot more interesting. He but, got reinforced. He's reinforced now. I, I guess so. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I, I suppose like t- to to get rid of it, um, maybe refreshes him for a, a more serious title chase, and that's what it looks like. You know, from the sounds of his promo, he's going after gold to heal that broken heart. Just such an, uh, like, I, Who knew I would never be able to envision, like, like this kind of a uh, character. I oh mean, my it's, God. it's a yeah. really unique individual, this guy. He, he really is, yeah. I mean, the match itself, I didn't think it was that impressive, to be honest with you. I haven't been that impressed with Johnny Elite uh, thus far in AEW. And I'm not exactly sure what, what this means for his current run. I mean, he had um, the match. Uh, who did he face? Joe? Yes. Beat Joe. Oh, Joe, Joe, Joe oh, beat lost, him. Lost to Joe. He was on dark with some uh, YouTube uh, guy named Dad. And then now he, you know, they, they, they position this as a, an open challenge just for him that ends up being a squash match. So I, I don't know if he's going to stick around. Maybe he's on a per appearance deal. Um, yeah, I, I don't, I, I don't see a bit, I, I don't see a permanent role for him in, in this mm. in this roster. They recapped Anarchy in the Arena, and Shivani says Eddie Kingston was the first zombie he's ever seen in pro wrestling. Unfortunately, not the first one most people have seen. Um, for, no. Uh, for backlash. No. Jericho Appreciation Society is out. Jericho shuts down Judas and Ange Parker, addresses the AEW Galaxy, telling them to appreciate them. Matt Menard just did his big, big Ric Flair promo, screaming and yelling, and Jericho calls Kingston a psycho. The whole crowd starts chanting for Eddie and Jericho's disgust. He tried to pour gasoline on him and light me on fire. What kind of man burns another? Great line. Mm -hmm. Danielson, he says, tried to kick our fucking heads in, but we made him quit. And he isn't even here tonight and says that Garcia is going to do the same thing to that fat head. John Moxley and sports entertainers always win when they face pro wrestlers. Eddie Kingston comes out accompanied by William Regal. Regal's purpose of coming out here was strictly for the the issuing of this challenge where he says, Regal, let them know what I want. And Regal proclaims blood and guts. Jericho says, you'll never get blood and guts. And he sends the Jericho Appreciation Society members to attack Kingston. But Ortiz appears with the murder ball and nails Jericho and cuts a piece of his hair off. And Jericho screams. And this is enough for him to agree to blood and guts. But first, he wants Ortiz in a hair versus hair match. And he'll burn him because he's a wizard. So a lot set up here, but we are going to get a hair versus hair match in a couple of weeks time in two weeks. And then the blood and guts will be June 29th in Detroit, which was the date I immediately thought they would be doing it because that's a big show at the end of the month. 
I mean, it felt like Excalibur just had like, you know, a lot of work done for him in this segment with like two major announcements just back to back here. And he didn't uh, have to do the rundown tonight for Rampage. No, he didn't. I thought it was a lot better, actually. You know, I mean, at this point, listen, they announced half this card like after one thirty p.m. today and it'll be fine. So I love the fact that the Regal's sole purpose of being in this segment on this show was to essentially come out to say war games. Uh, I loved it. Everybody did. You know, we all miss uh, general manager William Regal. And uh, yeah, two big matches made here, you know, blood and guts. I, I think we all kind of expected maybe between, you know, these two teams. It's starting to look like it's an annual tradition here between, you know, these faction wars around this time. You start off with uh, on double or nothing with some version of Stadium Stampede or uh, Anarchy in the Arena. And then round two takes place on TV with blood and guts. Well, la- uh, last year they did the op- they did blood and guts first, and that led to Stadium Stampede. Is that right? Yes. Oh, okay, you're right. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. And okay. it was questioned at the time because it, it did seem like you were almost going from, from the violent match to more of the, you know, semi comedy, uh, segment mm. of Stadium Stampede. But I mean, it, the, the, the anarchy in the arena was pretty damn violent. Well, that's so. what I'm saying. I, like, I think it's a pretty high bar to top what you just did. I'd, I'd yeah. be very, I'd be very nervous to try and, cause I thought that, that match on Saturday was brilliant for what yeah. they were aiming to do. I, I don't know how you top it. Like they really had their work cut out for them. I would say even if even if they don't top it, I'm still excited to see it because we know the chemistry that, you know, and you know the vibe that like the, the this group of 10 can create. And this, the matches will, of course, be very different. One is completely sprawling across the arena and beyond. The other is completely enclosed. And, and then, you know, having, of course, the countdown and like the, the run-ins for the hot tags and all that like that, that that's part of what makes War Games so special. They showed a clip of Samoa Joe being interviewed after Double or Nothing and was attacked by Jay Lethal, Sanjay Dutt, and Sutnam Singh, where they put his injured shoulder through a chair and ran it into the production equipment, so further injuring the shoulder of Joe. It was nice that they just saved this for after the match, because I I wonder if they had considered, you know, interrupting the match with something like this. Yeah, I think given the the, like the the Owen involvement, you kind of wanted to do as clean a finish as possible. So I I agreed. I thought this this worked. Adam Cole comes out. He's got his uh, his Owen Hart belt, and he's on commentary for the ten man tag with the Young Bucks, Red Dragon, and Hikuleo against Jungle Boy, Luchasaurus, Christian Cage, Matt Hardy, and Darby Allen. Uh, Jeff Hardy does come out uh, with Matt, but is not in the match. Huge response for the Bucks as they come out, and Cage and Matt Hardy have some words when he tags in Matt, and the two work together briefly. We get a spot where all ten are in. Darby does his low pay to Kyle O'Reilly just to make sure he can he can hit it after last week. So, yeah, there we go. Um, man, like uh, a million super kicks in this thing. Luchasaurus does a head scissors, spiking Nick right on his head. This was like the greatest spike you've ever seen. Jungle Boy then leaps off the sh- the back of Luchasaurus into a destroyer on Matt Jackson. And then we see Hikuleo come in. Cole is looking all worried on commentary. Darby and Kyle come in and he does the rotating stunner and then goes for the coffin drop to the floor and is caught by Hikuleo and they hit chasing the dragon on Darby. Matt then runs, uh, runs, uh, Nick and Kyle, uh, towards each other and fish. Uh, he's running them all into the buckles as the crowd chants delete. And this got over so much to this audience that it just got louder and louder and louder. And finally, Hikuleo stopped Matt Hardy that the crowd was kind of sad that they couldn't yell delete anymore. I'm so glad like Matt Hardy's biggest reaction these days is like, you know, moving his hand and ramming dudes heads into the turnbuckle. 
it's once once you've got that going for you, you don't have to be doing these leg drops off of you know high yeah. high objects. You can you can get away with that. Cage, uh, they send Hikuleo to the floor, and Cage hits him with a spear off the apron, and then we get double super kicks to Matt Hardy, double super kicks to Luchasaurus. Jungle Boy comes off the shoulders into a double super kick. The crowd is going nuts. BTE trigger to Jeff to Jungle Boy is stopped by Matt Hardy. Red Dragon takes out Matt Hardy, and they hit the BTE trigger. Uh, sorry, the Meltzer driver onto Jungle Boy and. Nick, uh, Matt Jackson pins Jungle Boy and they make a big deal that they have pinned the tag team champions. And afterward, Matt Hardy goes to console Jungle Boy and Christian just slowly pushes Matt Hardy away. I'm the mentor here and just tells Jungle Boy, don't listen to this asshole. And they go to the ring. Uh, m- maybe the most overt, um, signal we have gotten in the, in the Christian Jungle Boy, uh, tease, but still quite subtle, you know, although, yeah, you, this time you had the, by answers. WWE standards, this was like, what are you talking about? They're just partners yeah. that don't get along. Yeah, that's right. Uh, but this time you did have the announcers even make mention of it. Like, I think it was like either Tony or Jim, Jim Ross who said, that was weird. So <laughs> that was um, weird. That's uh, yeah, you're right. About as much a uh, kind of overt, um, you know, um, attention to to this turn as we've had so far. Man, uh, what a match! You know, this this felt like it was something you would have probably seen in uh, Reseda, uh here. So everybody with just spectacular offense. The crowd reacted huge for it. It, it felt like one to you know uh, um, impress the Warner execs watching. Yes, yes, I'm sure they came away big fans. I thought they were just going to fast track the Bucks to tag title match on Friday for Rampage, mm-hmm. but they are going to do the Bucks against the Lucha Brothers, which is uh, not a bad consolation if you're going to that show in Ontario, California. Do they have another special coming out, like a um, champion? What do they call those? Well, they're setting up that that June 15th show. They're they're billing as Road Ranger, Road so that's kind of a a Wednesday special. So mm-hmm. I would imagine the Bucks challenging the Jurassic Express at some point this month. You would. Think. Like this finish, you know, clearly indicates that Lexi Nair's with Keith Lee and Swerve. Um, They're with a bunch of Swerve's guys. This one guy who works with Marvel, another made him a jacket. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, It's like, I mean, I mean, I'm in California. I don't know if I need the jacket. Thank you. (laughs) I I mean, I, you know, some of these, these are pretty much lost on me, but I'm sure they're important people in many other circles. Um, it, it it just kind of felt like maybe Swerve's way of uh, getting some friends on TV and um, I get I don't know playing off of that rapper gimmick. You know, one of uh, one of my guys recently got me a custom made uh, j- <laughs> jacket. You know, I, I could be wearing this here. This is uh, whoa! Look at this. is that a Robert Pearson? Is this is this a oh real? Oh my god! <laughs> it's a real digital. Yeah. Wow, you got a Robert Pearson? Yeah. Whoa. You know, those things are pretty hot on the streets. Hottest week of the year. I need a hoodie. So there, there we go. I, uh, there we go. We're just like yes. Swerve. Shout out to Robert Pearson. Um, you know, giving podcasters belts, hoodies. He's the hookup. I don't think the man sleeps. Uh, he's, he's just everywhere. Shivani brings out Athena, who just pretty much outlines her purpose. She is here to break Jade Cargill's streak. So the baddies come out, including Stokely Hathaway. Jade announces, I'm that bitch. How dare you interrupt us at Double or Nothing? And Stokely's role is as the publicist and calls Jade a queen, a goddess, and our TBS champion. And when asked for a title shot, Jade says, not today. And Kara Hogan steps up to Athena, and she's backed up by Anna Jay and Chris Statlander, and they all just yell at one another until Stokely calls for security. They didn't even waste 
a TV segment in the back to explain this Mark Sterling thing. Like he's just gone. He's done. Everybody. He's done. He's done. He's done. I thought they were so. going to do the, like <laughs> based on him, he was also like walking after getting destroyed in the match. And yeah, it just feels like, okay, it's a hard done on this. He is now uh, going to do this Wardlow stuff. Yeah, he's yeah. off. Stokely is now like no power struggle. No, yeah. hey, I have a contract with Jade. Who are you? No, nobody cares either. You know, is what I'm saying. It's like it, nobody wants to like. It's, Why are Stokely, we going to spend six weeks when we can just get to the destination now? Exactly. Stokely Hathaway is like a, a hundred times better of a fit for this group. Uh, and, and Mark Sterling did a great job, too. Mark Sterling continues to do a great job. You know, I with, thought he was great that, in that buy-in match, like playing playing the role uh, opposite Hook and uh, Danhausen. Like I thought he was really entertaining, and playing off Wardlow is like you know he he was he's good for that kind of a role. Right. Yeah. But you know, but for a group called the Baddies, I I I mean, really, it's 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 honestly a match made in heaven. I almost wish we had more of it here. But, you know, like leaving me wanting more uh, hearing from uh, Stokely Hathaway, I, I don't think is a bad thing at all. I thought it, Athena sounded really good. Yeah, I, I thought it was a little rushed, but I mean, th- you got the, the gist of where they're going and didn't mm. need a, a whole lot more time for this. Either. I think it's nice that it feels like we finally have a, you know, second significant, significant feud in the women's division that can take place on Dynamite. You know, this isn't just a, a feud and program that's crammed on Rampage or, you know, on Dark or something. Like Athena brings a, a a good level of star power. I think Stokely Hathaway, in combination with Jade, like elevates that group, like really, you know, to among the the, the higher factions in this company. I think after that video got out, you could do some like um, some stand up sets with Stokely Hathaway, just like running down people on the roster. Yeah, absolutely. Talk about the witness protection program of NXT UK. Here's the thing, though: it's like who who in the women's division can go toe to toe with him, though. Like who can who can um because like he is in the women's division, Stokely Hathaway is. Maybe a Britt Baker. Um but who yeah. else like on the microphone, you know? Uh yeah, I mean you don't really have like you you've got Vicky with Nyla Rose. There's, there's no 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 battle there. You know? Yeah. Well, I mean you don't necessarily need an you just need this guy to be like, you know, Jade's Jade's voice. Mm-hmm. Just yeah. build her up. I, I think he'll do very well in this position. Yeah. Wardlow and JD Drake. So the new entrance for Wardlow, they're, this is smart. They're not abandoning everything that had worked so well. Um, so he's in the back walking without music. So the crowd pops for him and then the music begins as he enters the arena. And did, did you find it kind of sad that like when he came out and, and the music came on? Like I, I kind of missed the complete silence a little bit. I, I think mean, that it, there was certainly a lot to take from that presentation that worked and just being flanked by security. It made him feel a lot more dangerous as well. That worked. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, to me, the challenge comes now. Is everything about the program that I think we loved about, you know, Wardlow versus MJF, the lack of music, the, 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 uh, the, the it's the tease, right? It's, you know, it's the foreplay and then you just kind of get there and it's, it's now, now he's got music. He's, he comes across like any other wrestler. Uh, Ross and frankly. Rachel have gotten back together now. <laughs> exactly. Now, where do we go? Great reference to Rwanda way. Number one eleven. 
where we review The Office and Friends this week, everybody. So if you want to hear two wrestling podcasters talk about NBC sitcoms, uh, two fight-themed editions of NBC sitcoms, at least, you can check that out at postwrestlingcafe.com. Yes. Yeah, and, like, and an excerpt from John McCarthy about his time on the set of Friends in I, I don't know how you tied your book collection into this review, but you, you somehow did. Um, but yeah, no, this is a challenge now. Like he's He has to now struggle to not come across like any other professional wrestler that's on the roster. So he enters, um, he destroys J.D. Drake with his big lariat, shoulder blocks, straps come down, two power bombs, and just stands on top in a minute 12, very quick, continuing with that pattern of, of destruction. And as Shivani gets in to interview him, Mark Sterling comes out with security, and he has papers to serve Wardlow for a class action lawsuit on behalf of the American Arena security professionals who he's been attacking for weeks, and they'll see him at court. So he destroys the security uh, messenger that's presenting him with the papers and rips up the papers, destroys this guy, stuffs the papers down his mouth. So he's now going into a legal battle in this class action lawsuit against the security guards. Um, The follow up will be very important because this is a very mid card feud. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, hey, like (laughs) – Most of the magic you can argue of what worked, you know, with Wardlow versus MJF was MJF. So how can how can they continue the momentum that they've given this guy who felt like the hottest baby face or one of the hottest baby faces coming out of the weekend without MJF? Um, MJF seems completely divorced from this right now. And as he should be. By and this, this point. feels like you, you don't want to make this like a lesser version of what you're coming off of where mm. the it's, it's him finally getting his hands on Mark Sterling at the end. Yeah. Number yeah. one, we just saw like your comedic group, get their hands on him and beat him in two minutes. And, you know, sorry, w- Wardlow has graduated from this, that I, I hope this is not a long thing and someone should be behind this. And there were- it doesn't really there were suggestions that, you know, Wardlow be entered into the main event if MJF was not uh, present on, on Sunday. So, I mean, th- that's to say, you know, to some people, like he's up at that level where he he's capable of, you know, a, a main event run very shortly. But before and- all the stuff broke on Saturday, like I thought it was the number two, if not number three show on the whole pay-per-view. Like that program Match, yeah. was it was like that to me was among the biggest matches that they had promoted. Like you had Punk and Page. And then to me, it was this and like. What Bucks and the Hardys like that to me? Yeah. Those were your big matches in terms of like drawing people for this show. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the gimmick of MJF just endlessly power bombing security guards. I don't think that'll ever get old. So it's great that they've come up with a way to continue it. Um, but ultimately, it has to end in a match. And, and who is the high profile match against? God. Oh, okay. God. I don't know. God beats Miro, and then goes you need, on. You need a setup guy. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Lexi Nair speaks with the men of the year and Lambert and the title match will be on rampage between Scorpio Sky and Dante. And he says that Martin has potential, uh, but maybe in a few years, he'll be close to as good as Scorpio Sky. Sky is also now referring to the TNT title as Genie, I guess, as in a Genie bus of the Lakers. That's what oh, okay. I, 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 I don't know who that is. You got to watch winning time. Why you'll get all caught up on the Lakers Genie. more. Uh, and the, was he the best player? Jeannie Bus was. Uh, she is one of the owners. Oh, she. Yes. Oh, okay, okay. Her father right. was Jerry Bus. Dante walks in and says, "I think I am better than you right now, and on rampage, I am going to prove it." 
I might have said it with a little bit too much. Uh, I don't flare. know. That felt like it felt like you know Loki with like a cold. This was not <laughs> this. This guy could uh, he could use like a little gravel in his in his voice. Promos I, are a big, big weakness of Dante Martin's. Like yeah. big, big weakness. Well, and we only say that because he's so good at the other thing, right? In ring, he is at such a high level that I mean, it's it, it is a very drastic drop when you compare his how far behind he might be, you know, on the microphone compared to somebody else. But you need guys to get that experience, you know, in order to get better. Uh, he and you know, much like Punk, he has uh, a lot to learn. This is a guy that seriously, when he is like out in like his rental, going to whatever next city it is, like this guy should just be cutting promos in his car with himself nonstop. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. put as much effort into like your physical in ring. It's, it's extraordinary and just put yourself in the best footing possible uh, to excel where speaking is such a huge part of it. Uh, and he's young. Agree. He's young. It's like yeah. you, you are not going to be a natural promo. Like some people it comes naturally to others. It takes a, it takes a long way to go, but it, it's an area of your game that you can obviously see as a weakness. And it's just something you have to uh, get more comfortable with. Britt Baker and Jamie Hayter versus Tony Storm and Ruby Soho. Uh, Baker's out with her Owen Championship. And this was a very physical match. I thought these are four of your your more solid female uh, talents in the company. So uh, they get the advantage on Soho during the break after a swinging neckbreaker off the apron. Uh, Storm eventually gets the tag and hits his killer release German onto Jamie Hayter and follows with a hip attack. Hater delivers a draping DDT to Storm off the apron to the floor. Soho's off with a high cross to the floor and Baker with a sling blade. Crowd is chanting, this is awesome, as Soho hits no future to Baker, but gets a two count. She sets up for lockjaw, and Soho tries to get top position when Hater flips them back so that Baker has the advantage. They break free, swinging neckbreaker to Soho, and then there's a miscommunication spot between Baker and Hater on the apron where they share a glance with one another. Soho lands a knee and hits Destination Unknown, pinning Britt Baker in 9 minutes and 38 seconds. And then Hayter jumps both of them using the Owen Championship to attack them with before handing it to Baker. And Baker kind of gives her a look as in, uh, what are you doing with my brand new toy that you're destroying? And then gives her the okay, like things are fine. I actually thought this belt shot was well thought out because... Any other belt shot, you, they're kind of overdone, but this is like this brand new title. It's in Owen's memory, and you're using it just to bash these people's heads in with? Like, have some goddamn respect, Jamie Hayter. Interesting, because, I, I mean, I felt like any belt shot would have been, like, right up Britt Baker's alley. So I, I didn't necessarily feel like this was that big of an offense to him if, if, if that was what this segment was intended to let you feel. Um, I also wasn't exactly sure what they were going for for that miscommunication spot on the <laughs> – ironically, I can't communicate miscommunication. But um, <laughs> on the apron there, like what exactly was that supposed to be? Because like I – th- I thought they kind of just got in each other's way and it was just kind of the two being frustrated with one another. Got in each other's way? Like how? You know, like what was Baker supposed to – what was Baker going for? Like well, they, was, they definitely both like just stopped, and uh, just I know stopped. that that that's that, that's what the intent was. But I'm saying the execution like left me a little bit perplexed, you know. Um, 
But that like those flubs aside, I I agree with you. Like the rest of the match, I thought was was pretty awesome. We saw this match about a month ago on Rampage. It was great then. Now they're doing it on, on Dynamite and, and really great now. They're they're four of the best in the division, and this was the one that completely survived the nine thirty slot. You know, for the women, women's match, this crowd was really behind it the whole way. Yeah, I like this. I thought I thought it I thought it worked well. And you seem to be teasing something with Baker and Hater down the road. For and what rent- else here? Because you had Soho pin Baker. Yeah, okay. which is someone that doesn't take too many pins. So it would it would indicate to me that they they're probably going to go and do another match between uh, Baker and Soho at some point. Yeah, I guess. Like, the, even though we just saw it. Um, I mean, the fact that she pinned her here, I think that yeah. that's. I I don't think they're just beating Baker for no reason. When you no, I I agree with you. I I suppose it's just you know um. I mean, they do rematches, of course, and, and you can do a rematch here. But um, are we going fifty fifty? Is it tooth, tooth versus tooth match? They're going to put their teeth versus... on the line. I think you're it... asked to get an extraction. Ooh, okay, <laughs> that that would be a first in pro wrestling. Yeah, we've seen eye for an eye matches. We've seen hair versus hair, of course. Teeth versus teeth. No, that a K nine one one match. Very good. Very good. Okay, Danhausen can ref. We'll move on. Rampage on Friday has the Young Bucks against the Lucha Brothers, Dante Martin challenging Scorpio Sky for Genie, and Athena versus Kiara Hogan, which looks like a very nice lineup for Rampage on Friday night. And then next Wednesday, Hangman Page returns to take on David Finley. Yes, this was uh, Finley. This was this was the, the Finley appearance, yeah. Daniel Garcia and John Moxley was the main event. You know, for all the praise of anarchy in the arena and, you know, the image of Eddie Kingston that's going to live in infamy and I think so many people benefiting from this, you know what's even more over now than last week? It's Wild Thing. I think yeah, the song and- is even more popular now after Saturday and yeah. what they did with it that when Mox, like this is now just, it, it's even a, a larger reaction now for this song because mm-hmm. now it's associated with such a, such a memorable couple of minutes to start that match. Totally agreed. Yeah. Absolutely. Will they try it again? You don't uh, want to you don't want to overdo it, right? Uh, like playing playing the it during song? the match. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe maybe at some point when it when it calls for it. I think people would be into it if they if they wait and do it at the right time. We had a few uh celebrities in the crowd. We saw Vince Vaughn, the um Pages trainer. <laughs> that is correct. <laughs> the William Regal of the William the, uh, Regal of universe, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the fighting with my family universe. Yeah, yes, right. that's the movie fighting with my family. And also how appropriate we just we just reviewed a show um, uh, with his swingers partner, John Favreau, as a UFC fighter. So that's clearly, right. That's clearly, right. AEW trying to tie into this week's rewind away. Number 111 uh, at post Obviously. And then they showed Macaulay Culkin. Which William Regal, all he had in him was a, a 30-year-old, he's home alone, reference. I'm sure Macaulay Culkin's never heard that joke. <laughs> yeah, nobody brings up Richie Rich or the Page Master. The Good Son. The, yeah, my girl. I rented The Good Son because I was I, I enjoyed like the Home Alone movies. And I rented The Good Son, not realizing like this this is going to be a dark, dark Macaulay Culkin. Mm-hmm. Okay. So well. I'm trying to kill his family. I was like, I was like nine when I watched this thing. Don't watch The Good Son. And don't watch his brother's movies either, I guess. Well, 
So Garcia starts off with some headbutts, and Regal brings up that Moxley's got seven stitches in his head, and like on cue, his stitches just exploded as Regal stated this, and Moxley just bleeding all over the place from this this wound being opened. And Garcia places his leg between the stairs and drop kicks it and goes to town working on Moxley's knee. Moxley is covered in blood. Uh, He stops a sharpshooter by gouging the eye. And on the floor, he gets him up pretty much for like an X-plex, dropping him on the steps, but on the edge of them, like where he hits the edge. Just an awful landing for Daniel Garcia. I, I thought this was terrible. Like Ugh. I mean, and I don't mean terrible in that like, oh man, how how crazy of a spot. This was reckless. Like this was this was no good. You know, like I don't know what they were expecting. Like, it's spectacular it was- enough just dropping him flat on the stairs, but like he was right at the edge and just took this. Like I'm sure he was expecting to land on the steps, and instead his body just flies off the side, he, crashing on the he's floor. He's landing just, on the sharp corners of oh, like the, 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 the shortness of the steps. Like, and this is what we're talking about a man's head here. You know, like I thought this was completely unnecessary. It made me uncomfortable. So I'm hoping that this was not the way it was intended. Moxley delivers elbows. Garcia rolls out of a choke, delivers his own elbows. Moxley escapes a choke and goes for an arm bar. And Garcia traps the leg and then rolls to a knee bar. Just a crazy sequence of submissions and counters to the different strikes. Moxley hits a pile driver and gets a two count. There's a moment. It near this spot where I'm just thinking Garcia should win this match. And it was in the, these last couple of minutes that you have the explanation that Moxley is like, neither of them are a hundred percent after this anarchy in the arena match. But the idea that Garcia just is able to catch him when he's at this really low point coming off this super violent match that mm-hmm. I think it would have been treated as the biggest win of Garcia's career and really fuels this this feud even going further that gives Moxley like uh skin in the game of the of this as well but regardless mm. that did not happen he applies the sharpshooter and the way Garcia does the sharpshooter is he always leans so back because he's so flexible and Moxley is able to grab his his throat and apply a choke to break the sharpshooter that was so clever and then they he gets out of the choke they get to the floor and crash over the timekeeper's table the whole crowd is chanting AEW Jericho runs down and he is followed by Eddie Kingston who sprints and dude this guy nearly gave Titus O'Neil his run for his money because he almost wiped out before just grabbing Jericho for support before he was about to just wipe out completely. He's very lucky. This was not a longer ramp, you know, in a crown jewel or something like, or greatest world rumble or whatever that was. He, he had an iconic walkout on Sunday that I think will live on in, uh, you know, be immortalized in, in photos and perhaps action figures. He almost had another one today. Yeah, this honestly, he would he would have had better control if he was in shoes running across a sheet of ice. Like that is what it looked like. And, well, listen, I mean, he was trying to save his friend. You know, like there's 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 a lot going on here. So he grabs Jericho, and in this whole exchange, Moxley is able to get the paradigm shift and wins this match in 11 minutes and 35 seconds. Um, yeah, X-Plex aside, I thought this was fantastic. This was such yeah. a wild, insane fight. Um, and, and I was, I was watching this thinking like this could be 
like so often, like you do see where everyone's slotted on this show and you're kind of tuned to see who's going to win or who's going to lose. But I, I did think like towards the end, like you could give this to Garcia and don't treat it like it's like he just slipped on a banana peel. Like this could be like a big career defining win for Garcia and and further gives like this Jericho society that they're able to get the best of the pro wrestlers. And here is Daniel Garcia, the guy that everyone associates as this meat and potatoes wrestler that has gone the sports entertainment route and he beats like a John Moxley. But nonetheless, um, I thought this was a, a really great main event and nuts. It certainly got like the the feel of this match certainly got to that point where um, it felt like these two were like really, you know, like, like it was very intense is what I'm trying to say. And And at that point, you're right. If they if they decided to go with like Garcia as as the as the winner, I think it would have been very well earned. I mean, I feel and like you would have won't... had that shock because like they don't often do that where where someone of a Moxley level loses, and sometimes you you don't want to do that. You don't want to have just parity, well, but well, sometimes it's it's the right time. Well, that's the thing is like Moxley is very protected on this yes. roster. Okay, like more so. Like you could do this with Jericho. You could do this maybe with Brian even. But like Moxley, I think you know he he's very protected, and you also don't want to make him look bad. And in this case, it wouldn't like because they fought so hard. If like Garcia just somehow got a quick pin, um, it would have been like very credible. I would I feel, um, but maybe you know maybe they didn't, didn't expect this to be as you know intense and maybe as good as it as it ended up being, uh, because it was a crazy match. Like they the, the the blood and and the beautiful submission counters that that took place. It was violent and technical, which I think is exactly what the uh, Blackpool Combat Club style is, and uh, probably what we'll see in uh, Blood and Guts. Yeah. So. Um... While some people were not uh, feeling the effects of a uh, Saturday, Brian Danielson was off, which he should have been after that uh, that finish. Yeah, yeah, good. So it ends. Moxley says Eddie Kingston is a hard guy to love, but I love you and sign me up for blood and guts. And I would venture to guess that Moxley was supposed to mention when and where it was going to take place because boom, Excalibur is all over. That'll be June 29th, Blood and Guts in Detroit, and made sure to really hammer it home when Blood and Guts is. And they also put up the graphic for Jericho and Ortiz at Road Rager. Unfortunately, the graphics department wrote July 15th in St. Louis when it is June 15th in St. Louis. Bit of a... That that should not happen on national television. I mean, the JUs, you know, it's easy to, to mix up. J-U-L, J-U-N. Because it came up, I was like, July 15th? They're they're putting that hair versus hair match in a month and a half? And then I saw St. Louis, and I knew St. Louis was in two weeks. So there you go. They they I'm sure we will see it plenty of times between now and then. Um, so, yeah, somewhat unfortunate. But uh, MJF left the arena, and he took over our Photoshop license and is trying to ruin our demo rating right <laughs> during N- the NBA playoff season. <laughs> he snuck into Chiron and hit the wrong key. He hacked into our system. He's going to slowly burn this place down by falsely promoting a hair versus hair match <laughs> a month after it takes place. Uh, that was dynamite. I, I thought this was a pretty terrific show. It was mm. not a ton happened on this show, but this was maybe I just hit like my ultimate head spinning moment a few weeks ago when we came on here and we had that last half hour that was the half hour of insanity but i i did not feel this was one of those sh- there was a lot happening but i never felt my head was spinning 
um, at any of this. Me too. Me too. I'm in total agreement here. Um, you know, 9.30 came around and I was like, what? It's yeah. already 9.30? So there was something like I was glued show. for two hours and it was a... Yeah. An easy two-hour watch tonight where you get, you got a lot of news coming out of this show, matches built for the future, some terrific matches on this show. I would I would say like the main event was really, MJF. really strong. Uh, the MJF promo is what everyone's going to be talking about. The 10-man tag I thought was very strong. Maybe the, the, the six-man was a little under my expectations, the opener, because um, Punk and FTR, mm-hmm. like they, they've been having like a but, lot of terrific but, matches. But the crowd was incredible. This crowd was awesome. Thing. This crowd was phenomenal for the yeah. two hours uh, that they had, and that added a ton. The atmosphere is a huge part of these shows. Yeah. Nothing dragged, you know, it's, things don't usually drag. Things usually are too fast. And But even this show, I thought, was very well paced for whatever reason. Um, it, it was a very enjoyable show. All right. Well, there you go. Um, we have a bunch of feedback to Dynamite. Any super chats you want yes, to address? Yes, we do. Yeah, we got a little super chat here. Thank you so much for your support. Matthew Radcliffe, who sends 349 New Zealand dollars. Thank you so much for that. He says, anyone else get big franchise vibes from NJF? Franchise capitalized as in... Uh, Shane Douglas, I'm assuming. Yes, I guess some people will make uh, that comparison. I, th- I think he's he's better, frankly, at this point. I I, th- I thought his delivery was all time level. I thought I thought he was. I thought it was a really tremendous performance from a guy that has a lot of um, consistently great uh, segments. Yep, yep. Uh, so thank you for the support, Matthew. We go to forum.postwrestling.com where patrons have the ability to leave feedback. Uh, every single one of these reviews. So do you want to start off, John, or do you want me? Jake from the Windy City. For a Dynamite card that didn't look like much on paper going in, it over-delivered as an all-time episode and gave me raw after WrestleMania vibes. After a lot of vibes going on. After going through exhaustion for days from a long double or nothing, my energy is revitalized as they fired on all cylinders and the pace didn't give me whiplash. Incredible buildup for Forbidden Door. I wouldn't say incredible buildup for Forbidden Door. It was a cool match announcement. But I, I was not thinking of Forbidden Door after tonight's show. If anything, Blood and Guts was promoted way stronger as, and that's coming out of Forbidden Door. Well, they have, they have to, like, they promoted three different shows, you know, on, on this thing. Four, if you include Rampage, right? Yeah. Yeah. But, um, I mean, you got your main event and, and maybe Jake is trying to say that it was a satisfying main event announcement. Mm-hmm. Uh, Miro's back, Blood and Guts confirmed, a Macaulay Culkin cameo, and a killer main event. Moxie has been amazing to watch. I hope he'll get back to the main event scene sooner or later. The one negative I'll say is that I thought it was a complete step backwards for Wardlow tonight. I thought the thing with Mark Sterling and the security guys was done. He should be moving up higher on the card instead of being involved in mid-card comedy angles. Gives the show a 9.5 out of 10. Wow. High rating, and um, I don't exactly disagree with Wardlow. I, again, it's it's going to be very tricky, you know, having him basically go out on its own with, without MJF. Like a, a program with MJF that was you know two and a half years built feels like a main event level program. So, um, you know, if if Mark Sterling is really the the only person, and I'm I'm thinking it's he's not the only person that'll be involved in this, it, it can potentially be a downgrade. We got a note from Vaughn who says, where do I even begin? Somebody that's watched every single Dynamite. I think that this was honestly the best episode they've ever done by far. And that says a lot because they've got, they've had a lot of damn near perfect episodes. I'm just so happy right now after watching it. Every segment was awesome. Every match ruled a 100 <laughs> out of 10 show. Oh my goodness. On uh, wow. you know, Look at that. That's, uh, that, that's quite the percentage. Broke um, the scale by 10 times over. Wow. 
I, I would not go that, that that far. I thought I thought the atmosphere was tremendous. I think there were there were some great segments on the show. Um, match quality, I've certainly seen better dynamites like from start to finish with better match quality overall. Yeah, sure. Uh, I don't disagree, but I mean promo quality though. Did we haven't had many episodes where we had a segment like MJF's? Yeah, there. It's you know it was a it was a very special segment. Cody from Maine, how often do we say that was an all-time great dynamite? Feels like we go a few weeks between at the most. Phenomenal crowd, ring work, mic work. I can't wait until next week, and I love that I feel that way. Well, that's great. That's what you want to have. A lot of positivity. Is there somebody who's going to talk shit about this this episode? Let's let's see here. Uh, okay, we let's go, go to Eric next. from Wyoming. Uh, where? Uh, I'm I'm Joey. Oh, you're making that up. Okay. We go to Patrick, who says, I thought this has to be in contention for being one of the best wrestling TV episodes ever from any company with everything hitting and the pacing being impeccable. FTR and Punk are a great trio, and seeing Tanahashi come out as Punk's challenger for Forbidden Door was surreal. MJF dropped an all-time promo, and I don't think that's hyperbole. Whether he stays or goes, this is a promo that will live forever. Uh, the Athena Jade Stokely promo was solid as well, with Stokely feeling like a much better fit than Mark. Athena sounded way more confident than she ever did in WWE, and the crowd reacted great. If AEW can deliver more matches like Baker and Hater versus Storm and Ruby, and more segments like Athena and Jade's, the women's division will be in a great place. Okay, Jason writes in from Vancouver. I love the MJF promo, but I think AEW has sort of boxed themselves in when it comes to the reactions crowds are going to give MJF. If they thought audiences will boo MJF for perceived petulance in real life or previous crowds playing into his heel character, I think they're going to be sadly mistaken. I think it will be very difficult to pull off this character as either a heel or a face, and I'm just not sure where they go with him as a tweener. While I think this was an intriguing first chapter in this new story, I'm far more interested with how they handled his character moving forward. Uh, you certainly had like the, like the spots where he was directly going after the fans. Um, but I think that is more so just this guy is not going to be, this is the last guy that you would want as a pandering babyface in any sense yeah. of the way. I think the audience is going to just in like, if they are behind him, like they were at the end of this, I think that is very much going to, you're going to see like copycat crowds that are going to see this guy as, this guy that is, is rage that is the ultimate like AEW representative. We're talking about a guy that is that has been charging people money so that he can give them the finger and insult their children in person. I mean that the whole babyface appeal of him is his ability to make fun of you. So I don't think his character should change whatsoever. He should go harder on the audience. Um, what people cheer about him, what people respect is just, I mean, the performance itself. And I mean, in this case, I think bringing up, up some real concerns and real truths that are very apparent to the audience now that this roster is becoming too much ex-WWE. And what does that mean for AEW originals? You know, like the four pillars, five pillars, whatever. So, yeah, it's it's very tricky. And, and we don't know that, again... <laughs> We don't know if they had always planned on this or if this was just something that they are creating out of reality, but they'd be stupid not to move ahead with it now. You know, it's it's the hottest thing right, right they have. Okay, we got a, uh, this person who was it? El Hil del Jomo, who says Tanahashi versus Punk is as good as a title match as you could make. Tanahashi is still one of the greatest, and even though we all know he'll lose, no one does an epic like him. Do you foresee an Okada defense? And if so, who do you think makes sense? Do they go with a Danielson or a Moxley for the biggest possible match? Or do you give the match to somebody like Pac or Christian Cage? Guys are still legitimately great, but can afford a loss to Okada. I don't see Pac or Christian in that, in that 
discussion. Like if you're looking like a, a Tanahashi equivalent on the AEW side, um, first of all, I, I don't know if you really need it. Um, it's, you would also have to set it up really quick because they're not going to make an announcement about Okada defending title till Dominion's over, which, I mean, that's only June 12th. That gives you two weeks. Do we to know it'll it. be Okada? Defending. Uh, right. Yeah. I mean, you, you could always flip it onto Jay White. Um, you, you could do that. And, and then it kind of opens, uh, the gamut of just different options of, of where you could go there as well. But I, I, I do think that people would be looking for, um, Okada to have some prominent role on this show. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah, no, hard to say. I, I, I mean, I'm surprised I didn't really hear too much discussion about Tanahashi being, you know, uh, an opponent for Punk up until this point. So it really could be anybody. Uh, we, your, your turn. Bruce Lord writes, to somewhat disagree with my fellow Vancouverite, I feel like anything's possible with MJF at this point. He could walk. He could stay. He could double down as a heel. He could become an anti-authority babyface. The latter is what's really interesting to me, as all the pieces are in place for a summer of MJF title reign at some point, with Punk now in the Cena role, but that's getting ahead of things. This was a great show in terms of angles, mic work, and in-ring. Tanahashi and Punk should be a great pairing, and there was a fantastic women's tag. Any predictions as to who might be the IWGP Junior Champion heading out of Dominion and how they might figure into Forbidden Door. Either Darby and Hiromu or Desperado Garcia would be fantastic, in my opinion. Um, wow, that sounds awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I could certainly see... Um, I, I, th I think Ishimori dropping the title to, to either one is a, a probable likelihood at, at Dominion. And, you know, it, it's been some time since Hiromu has, has held the title, though I, I think Desperado is... Um, I, I don't I don't think at this point he, he's underrated at all. I think everyone sees him as just this uh, terrific, terrific uh, junior heavyweight that to me is very much Hiromu's equal. So, um, yeah, Hiromu winning, I, I think there's there's a pretty decent percentage of that that happening. That would be my assumption. I, I think those two are going to have a classic on Friday. I, I'm more interested yeah. in that than the title match at Dominion. And, you know, if there is an IWGP junior heavyweight title defense, I mean, they, they have just a stacked roster of guys of that size that I think, you know, can be perceived as dream matches, you know, between Darby or Jungle Boy or uh, even Sammy at this point. You know, might I also be really think this card doesn't have to be loaded with title matches either. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Even like a, a, an LIJ, you know, faction war versus somebody, uh, another faction in AW. Man, can you imagine like a, what will they do? Like LIJ versus like Jericho? Appreciation Society, something like that. I mean, that'd be cool. You, you so. certainly have the groups that you get, like with, with United Empire. Um, yeah, yeah. There, there's a lot of stuff, but but not a whole lot of weeks to get all of this stuff stuff ready. Like you have, you know, after tonight, you have what three dynamites? Yeah, yeah. Which is plenty, I think. You know, at the rate that they built matches these days, Th these don't need big angles. They need yeah. like announce the match, and that should sell the match. Hopefully, I, if you the, have a good the, card. The, the build is Excalibur. You know, in yes. thirty seconds. Who who calls that show? I think it should be a combination of of Kevin Kelly with um, Excalibur and Jr. I think they, there's going to be presence from everybody. You know, from both brands. Because I, I just go with Excalibur and Chris Charlton. Um, I One think they're they're definitely going to want the whole team apart. You're going to get a five man booth. You know, throw Rocky there. Oh, I don't want a five man booth. <laughs> I just think like both they're they're going to want equal representation. Maybe switch back and forth. Um, but yeah, that would be a great team, Excalibur and Charles Charlton. Uh, we got a Robbie from Ontario, who's London, Ontario, who says, "What a great show! 
It felt big, and it delivered not only for the shocker appearance from the ace, but the pipe bomb type promo from MJF, the great reintroduction of Miro, great matches, and just lots of fun. I can't wait to see where this goes on Rampage, and who from New Japan Pro Wrestling shows up next. A 9 out of 10 show. Kate from Montreal. While I'm sure the MJF segment will be part of this show, the part of the show that's remembered most, it really says something that it didn't make everything else on the show feel in, insignificant. That's a great point. This whole show felt wild in the most enjoyable way. There was a lot of details that elevated it from a very good show to an excellent one, like following MJF's promo with a match featuring two ex WWE guys bringing out Regal to say blood and guts. And I like just having Punk ask for his forbidden door opponent to be revealed rather than trying to contrive a story. I think that there are areas where stories could come into play, but since Punk needs a big Big name to face and doesn't have any history with the recent New Japan guys. Uh, this just struck me as efficient. It's a match I want to see with no other embellishment necessary. The women's segments tonight, both the match and the Athena Jade promo felt like a step forward for the division. The rapid fire additions of Tony Storm and Athena, along with giving Ruby a more prominent role, bring some star power and experience that can help a lot. We got a Jesse from the six who says, let me be a negative Nigel on what was objectively a great episode of Dynamite and expressed my disappointment at Hangman's loss on Sunday and my skepticism that he will never be a main event star again. There was no Hangman promo on the show, no appearance at all, barely any mention of him. Hangman, the AEW original, has been jettisoned for a lovin' with the much older ex-WWE guy CM Punk. I fear this sets a bad precedent in AEW that their own baby faces will get short shrift going forward. If Hangman is the guy again in one to two years' time, then we, we can agree my worries today are misplaced, but I am not hopeful. I'm glad Mero's back, though, and that I'll get to see Blood and Guts live in Detroit, so it's not all bad. Take care. Um, I mean, that sentiment, Jesse, you know, could, could very well be intentional. Um, and if it's not intentional, then it's certainly one that you're not alone on. Um... And, you know, it's not necessarily just because Hangman is, is not on the show, but the idea... I think it was a positive he was off the show tonight. Yeah, was that? Cram, why, why cram that into this show? It's it's more impactful that here's the champion. How is he going to react? And we have to wait a week for that, um, that it should settle in, that this was a significant loss that he has to come back from. And you build that for a week rather than uh, shoehorning it into tonight's show somewhere that it would have been one of many, many uh, different things. I think, I think like the, like you will, you will see, but I think just to write off uh hangman page, like I, I don't get that sense. Maybe I'll be wrong, but I don't think we have that, that precedent of that happening here. Yeah. I certainly don't get that sense either. Um, and I, I think honestly, like you don't necessarily have to be a champion in order to have a significant role or even be considered the guy in this company and not saying that, you know, hangman is, is going to be that right away. But I think we can all agree that like, in my opinion, hangman was the most interesting when he was chasing, when he was going after the championship rather than, I mean, he was a great champion, had great matches, but I think character wise, there was, it seemed like there was less to do with him, less ideas, you know, for, for, for stories than there was with him chasing. Um, and I think you're just building sentiment by not having him on a show like this for the audience to want to see more of him and, and rather than forgetting him, at least I hope. Okay, Muggin, uh, best dynamite of the year. It could very well be strong wrestling from start to finish. The Friedman con dis dissension has a shit is real type of vibe. And when the scarf came off, the promo grabbed me. The Jericho Appreciation Society, Blackpool, Blackpool Combat Club feud getting capped off in blood and guts is the right call. Did anyone catch the error of Road Ridge's date? Yes, we went over that. No mention of Thunder Rosa is such an egregious oversight. I mean, there's another one, sure. Yeah. But 
Um, it's a two-hour show. You know, they they had a five-hour pay-per-view to tell all those stories. Um, and in a two-hour show with wrestling on it, you're not going to have much time to follow up on everybody. Like, would uh, a would a would a two-minute backstage promo have been a gigantic well, difference? Well, well Muggins not suggesting a two-minute backstage promo. He's, he's probably suge- suggesting something significant for Rosa. Okay, well. But, I mean, I, I don't have this belief that people have to be on every single show. I actually prefer that sometimes people are spaced out a bit. And if Punk wasn't on the show, how would you feel? I mean, Punk just won your championship. And Thunder Rosa is another champion. She is, but she was also uh, I, if you if you did not have Punk on this show. I don't think it's the worst thing in the world, but I think that would have been a mistake because he was arguably the biggest figure coming off of your pay-per-view. Thunder Rosa was not. Thunder Rosa was not among the, the top stories coming out of Saturday. Right. So, again, I, I'm just maybe speaking for people like Muggin or people like Jesse, who, to them, uh, maybe, you know, wanted to see Th- Thunder Rosa treated as, at least, you know, among the bigger stars. So what Paige. segment would you have cut tonight? Um, that, a sizable of, segment. No, I'm, I'm agreeing with you, John. There's not enough space, right? And I think, I think maybe you know they're choosing to hold certain people back as attractions for for future shows. Um, but yeah, like MJF had to, you know, I would have held back MJF, like all things considered, if in an ideal world, honestly, like just to kind of let the Wardlow spotlight shine a little bit longer to have him possibly kayfabe sell that injury a little bit longer and then next week coming out here cutting that same promo would have just lit the crowd up just as much um but anyway i'm not even i don't i don't even like this was a great show right yeah that's what i'm I'm just saying like we would sound i i think we always complain about like when there's so much thrown at you and the cure to that is that yes some people are going to be left off shows and The MJF one, I understand that to a degree, but at the same time, the buzz was heavy now. And like, I can understand they wanted him on this week for like, look at Naomi and Sasha. Like, how big is that story today versus two weeks ago? Like, that's how fast things move. And you do want to kind of hit things when it's hottest. And MJF was hottest coming on tonight's show versus three weeks from now to sell a stretcher injury. Whatever. Sure. Yeah. Like, I mean, it. There's only so much time, right? And um, so, something had to give, and this week it might have been Thunder Rosa. Okay, well, last we go to Manny from Pacoima, who says, Great show. It was amazing live. The crowd was really behind MJF, and when he finished, Punk and Matt Jackson came out to confront him, only for him to leave through the crowd. Okay, I didn't know Matt Jackson was there, too. That's interesting. Uh, Tanahashi was a great surprise, and the return of the Redeemer as well. Excited for blood and guts and the build to the Forbidden Door. All right. Okay. A lot of feedback from people from uh, tonight's edition of Dynamite. A very, very uh, heavy edition of news coming out of Dynamite. A lot of buzz around this product, and we'll we'll see if it reflects in the ratings. Yes, we'll be very interesting to see what uh, tomorrow's number is, and we are. And and how's the mixer? It's going on right now, John. Like that's right. Well. Well, maybe, maybe Benno snuck into the mixer and we will ask him on Thursday because he is going to join us on the post daily news show. He attended Dynamite. So we will get his live reaction to, uh, the MJF promo, how it came across, um, in his section in the arena and what that crowd was like live as well. So maybe, uh, some off air notes as well. So I look forward to catching up with Benno. Benno's big tour of, of the U.S. I believe he spent some time in the Hollywood Walk of Fame at Vince McMahon's Star. So we'll hear all about Benno's trip to the U.S. Uh, before I forget here, thank you so much, Davidian Alter, for setting a $5 super chat without even a comment, just to say cheers. So thank you so much for that support, Davidian. 
All right. Uh, that's it for us. Uh, postwrestlingcafe.com is where you can go. It's a brand new month, so a great time to jump on board to grab a minimum two bonus shows per week, including this week's Rewind Away, covering an episode of Friends from 1997 focused around the UFC and John Favreau uh, getting a sure dog record. Plus, The Office from 2005 featuring The Fight between Michael Scott and Dwight. You can hear us uh, break down this episode of The Office and then reviews this month of uh, Money in the Bank 2016 and TNA Destination X 2012. We'll be dropping a new edition of Talk next week for cafe members. And there's a rumor out there that MCU Later will be seeing you sooner rather than later. Maybe later this month, yes. All right. PostWrestlingCafe.com is where you can go. We will speak with you Thursday on the Post Daily News Show. Good night.